0: I didn't get discouraged. I didn't have somebody telling me. I didn't have that person saying, oh, you know, think of a realistic goal and limiting my belief. Actually, on the flip side, my dad was like, hey, just keep throwing as hard as you can. Whereas a lot of times people will put their own limitations on you, right? If a kid comes up and says, I want to be a major league baseball player, a lot of times people go, oh, that's sweet, honey. But what do you really want to do? And I never had that. So I really do believe that whether it's sports or whatever it is, if we can actually imagine a future that has very little limitations that other people decide to put on us, Mm -hmm. that that's huge. So that for me, here I am, this teeny tiny town of Trail, British Columbia, and no one ever patted me on the head and was like, oh, that's cute, Lauren, but what do you really wanna do?
1: All right. Welcome to The Path to Stilled. I'm your host, Kevin Harris. My co-host is Lauren Tashman.
2: Hi, everybody. Welcome to The Path to Stilled.
1: And we have an exciting guest today. We have Lauren Regula. She's a two-time Olympian, the co-owner of Track Athletics and the founder of the Strong Mom Movement. Thank you so much for joining us.
2: Thanks for having me, guys. Hi, Lauren. So excited to have you on the show today. Why don't you get us started with just giving people a little bit more insight into your background?
0: Sure. So, um, As Kevin mentioned, I'm a two-time Olympian, sport of softball. I'm a pitcher for Team Canada and had the quintessential growing up, playing everything, you know, led me to softball. And um, my story really begins after the 2008 Olympics. Um, I had three kids in three years at almost to the exact day, (laughs) and um, I went from, you know, eating, breathing, living softball, Lauren, that was my whole identity to three kids in three years, add in postpartum depression. And now the more that I'm thinking of it, I think it was probably a combination of postpartum depression in addition to completely losing myself of mm-hmm. the post uh, kind of athlete um, let down, I guess you could say. Mm-hmm. And so I met my husband, we have these three kids, it's a world when I, I wish I could even remember what was going on in my life. I was just happy to make it through each day. And I, we ended up moving to Akron, Ohio to open up our own business. So here I am depressed. We left a job, insurance, security, and income, all of it uh, to start our own business. And um, it was a pretty, pretty big drop, I would say with all of the stressors coming on. So um, I was in in and out of depression for about six years straight. And then uh, eventually with the help of my husband got help, the help that I needed to be at the point where I am today, which is feeling like myself. Um, I have created the Strong Mom Movement, which is part of knowing the struggles that I went through and knowing that moms need resources and help to be their best. Uh, and I've also got myself to a point where I feel great and I'm actually training for my third Olympics. Wow,
1: that's amazing. Um, speaking of Olympics, could you take us back um, to kind of the beginning of your softball career or uh, just how you got involved in athletics to begin with?
0: Yeah, so I'm from a small town and on this podcast and every everyone I go on, I'll preach to play everything. That's my that's my thing. Uh, I played everything. I'm from a super small town, 7000 people, no towns, you know, 100000 or more, but three and a half hours away. So really kind of secluded. And it was just my parents, uh, my parents urging, I did everything and softball, um, I loved softball. But to be honest, I also loved volleyball and I loved gymnastics, like I loved a lot of things. And it was apparent that around probably 14, 15, I was pretty good. Uh, I wasn't one of these crazy prodigies, you know, I didn't even start playing till I was 11. Mm -hmm. So I wasn't this crazy, crazy prodigy by any means. But. I realized when I was mid teens that I was actually pretty good and I still continued. And I'll say this, I still continue to play volleyball and basketball all through high school, Uh, played softball during softball season and landed a a scholarship at Oklahoma state university where uh, I just grew as a human being and and a softball player. Uh, I graduated in 2003 and then made the 2004 Olympic team for my first Olympics.
1: And you also had a lot of records at, the school, right? Uh, weren't you the? what tell us a little bit about those uh, accomplishments.
0: Uh, I ended up being the leading strikeout, uh, well, the leading strikeout leader. Um, <laughs> game started. I have to look to see where they are now. When I left, I was definitely peppered throughout the um, throughout the the books. But I will say, and to anyone out there who is ever going to play sports, it didn't start out that way. I mean, I showed up at college and took a really big dip. And I really struggled for my first couple of years. And through those struggles, I eventually became that um, kind of the pitcher that I'm known as today.
2: You mentioned that you, back in kind of high school, starting to play the sport, you recognized that you were kind of good at it. What were you seeing that made you think that?
0: So I knew I threw harder than everybody else. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't know where it was going, but I knew that I threw harder. So that was an obvious kind of difference. I was, I'm was i a lefty, so that automatically puts me in a diff, you know, different uh, noticeability category because everyone looks for lefties. And then when I was about 16, my town was so small, we couldn't even field a team. Like We were like, do you want to stand in left field? Just all you have to do is hold, put this glove on your hand. And a, a team from actually Vancouver, which was eight hours away, had asked if I would join their team. I, I didn't have one. So, from March until summer, my parents would load up the car, drive me down on the weekends. You know, I'd sleep in the back seat. My dad would drive, and I'm like, oh, we're already there. And poor guys got like <laughs> deep red eyes driving all night. And um, so I ended up joining this team and they were known as the best team in the province. We ended up going on to win, you know, Canadian Nationals multiple times. But I knew when they asked me, I was like, OK, so I, I must have something. Um, but at, at the on the flip side, I, I wasn't aware. I knew I was good, but I had no idea. I went to my first tournament with the White Rock Renegades in the states, and my dad was going up to anyone that he saw wearing a university jacket, and he was like, "Excuse me, do you think that picture, Do you think she's like D one? D because we trusted. a little recon. <laughs> yeah, we had no. I knew I could do something, but maybe I was D. I didn't know. So I, I had a feeling, but how good I, I didn't know.
1: So you mentioned still being interested in uh, volleyball and basketball. How did you start narrowing it down to softball?
0: I didn't until I went to college. I played volleyball all the way up through 12th grade Uh, basketball. I did only go through 11th because I had signed my letter of of intent in November of that year. And that basketball season was starting. And I did have that feeling of, okay, I do have a scholarship and I, I need to be careful, but It wasn't because I didn't want to. It was more just, you know, it made the most sense. And I, to this day, will say that playing volleyball helped me with my explosiveness on the mound. I'd say playing basketball helped me laterally because when I wasn't pitching, even in college, I played center field and everything I did and you name it, there was track. I did it curling. I was on the curling team. I mean, you name it. We skied every winter And I'm just a huge believer in that crossover between sports, not only physically, but also mentally, like being able to improvise because you've seen different things come at you. And I was so excited to put my ball glove on because I hadn't had it on. And then I was ready to put it away. And I was so excited to put a volleyball in my hands. And then I was ready. So I think the mental, emotional and physical, um, kind of bubble from playing multiple sports really helped me be excited to continue to play softball for as long as I'm even doing now. I mean, if I didn't love the sport, no chance, like I would, no chance I would be here.
2: And you mentioned that it was a bit of a challenge when you got to university, which we see a lot, right? Like I've worked with athletes who some struggle freshman year and then see their way through some great freshman year and then struggle that that sophomore slump as it's known so tell us a little bit more about that experience at university
0: yeah i went in and kind of lost who i was um i remember one day showing up and i had my hair in a different type of ponytail because i just i was trying to do anything to feel like my old self and i showed up and you know, I'd never had coaching before. And that's the thing I'm from this little town. So I was a little bit too eager. They said, do X. I did X to the extreme, even if it wasn't really good for my body. And it didn't, even if it hurt my, my, my elbow, I was like, okay, coach, I'll do it. <laughs> and so I really took that and I took on things a little bit too much, which totally changed the not only the pitcher I was but it also changed my mentality I came in I didn't have a drop ball and they're like we need you to have a drop ball so I sat there and worked for a whole year on a drop ball and in case anybody doesn't know if you have a drop ball that doesn't drop it's not ideal in college (laughs) and that was me for my first year and even through my second year so I was just overly eager I had I had thought that anything they said was you know gold and by no means am I saying I would still listen to a coach, you know, going back, but I think I would have more of a conversation and be part of the conversation as opposed to listening and then going 400 miles an hour, although I wasn't really sure what I was doing. So Mm -hmm. I took this massive dip down. And then by my junior year, I was able to work with my coaches more of a collaboration. They kind of let me be more and I was felt more comfortable in my own skin to voice how I felt. So we worked together to eventually piece me to the pitcher that I am. And they learned and and I learned, you know, small tweaks. I did really well, full overhauls. I was like, I may as well have pitched (laughs) (laughs) right-handed.
1: That's fascinating. And we've had other athletes on the podcast who have talked about uh, the need for that conversation um, and have arrived at that realization in different ways. So that's fascinating that you also experienced that.
0: Yeah. It's, it's interesting because you never want to say to a coach, you never want to question a coach, right? I always wanted to be very coachable. I was excited. So there's a fine line of being coachable but also being part of the conversation and figuring out together. So it's not an easy, especially in college, right? It's not an easy line to walk, but I think as athletes, if we are able to collaborate, then I think we'll be able to go, go even further.
2: Sure. And you mentioned then the, the opportunity to play for Canada. So tell us a little bit how that came about and what that initial experience was like.
0: Yeah, so I I made the first national team, senior national team, um, in 2002. So I was on the junior the junior team in 99, and then I made the senior team in 2002. Um, had a, you know, just it's one of those things you don't know what you don't know. I just thought it was more normal. I just tried out and I made it, and it, you know, <laughs> we're traveling all over the world, and I'm like, oh, I, I didn't really realize. How one fortunate I was to just have all these experience. It was experiences. It was just what I knew. Um, but when it came to the Olympics, I actually um, ended up having stress fractures in my my back leg in my senior season, which was 2003, and I couldn't pitch. Like I could, but it was it was not good. And the Olympic qualifiers were 2003, and so after my se- senior season. I was on crutches for six plus weeks i went with team canada because there was the qualifier and i i knew in my gut i'm like i'm pitching like i, I wanted to pitch right so i traveled with the team to the olympic qualifier i pitched a lot of the games and um, could barely walk we qualified they sent me on a flight on crutches home while they went on to the, uh, they went on to the Pan Ams. Mm-hmm. I still look back and wonder how I did it because I, I knew that I had those stress fractures in my leg. Um, but that started my, um, I would say that started my grit with Team Canada. I think in 2002, it was just la di da 2003 qualifying really started, a. I was really trying to insert myself and be, you know if i want to pitch with two two stress fractures in my legs like i'll pitch through anything mm-hmm. so 2004 came um and i li- literally it was just head down work i mean i i pitched with a bionic brace on my leg it wasn't pretty i didn't throw very well in my as you know for what i wanted to but i would just go out there and even though i didn't have my best stuff i still thought that I was going to beat whoever was out there with my mind. Um, And that was really the beginning of of me staying with Team Canada.
2: And that was your first Olympic experience. What was that like?
0: So, I mean, so different. I've had such two different, very different Olympic experiences. It was amazing because it was the first the first time you'll, and it's almost like you don't know what you don't know. You show up and the village and all of the, all of the kind of package that comes with going to the Olympics, just, it blows your mind. You don't even understand what's in an Olympic village until you've been in there. And even though I've been in there, I still forget all of the cool things that are there. Uh, But the actual games themselves, uh, it was in Greece and Greece wasn't a big softball, softball um, country. And so it felt more like a regular game to be on, to be totally honest, the stands weren't packed by any means. We had our Canadian, you know, congregation that was there with all the flags, but there was really not that many people there watching. So I really felt like another game, which one is what you want. Uh, A lot of times we say there's a lot of power that comes in ignorance. Like if you don't know, you just, I just la di -di ran out there and threw all the games and didn't really wrap my head around what was at stake. And then when it came to the 2008 Olympics, it was in China, which is a huge softball country and there was 10, 15,000 people in the stands and it was this huge. hugetadada. that was a little bit of a different feel. There was a definitely a different feeling because one, I knew better, right? I wasn't green anymore. I it wasn't you know I, it, there wasn't a I'm just happy to be here at all it was, okay, we're here for business. And I remember turning around and being like, yeah, there's a lot of people here. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and so for, I'm curious, um, it sounds like, and you mentioned the transition from just kind of happy-go-lucky to taking it more seriously. Did that start to change the way you felt about the game in the sense that it was less enjoyable or I don't shouldn't have put words in your mouth, but uh, what did it do to your outlook on the game?
0: I still loved the game. Um, I think everyone's path goes through ups and downs. By the time we hit the two thousand and eight year, there was just a lot of struggles. Team internally struggles. Um, I had played for a long time. I I went did one Olympics as Bay. My next Olympics was regular. I was married. I knew this was the end. So I it wasn't that I disliked the sport. It it probably seemed more like a job than it had in the past there was a lot more obstacles to overcome to be excited to play but i wouldn't say it was the severe like the seriousness of that i would just say at the time i thought i was winding down my career it was um it was just a tough year at that point uh so i think again like i said at the very beginning my love for the sport didn't go away but it's one thing to run in a field and it be completely open and no obstacles to get there and it's another thing to feel like you're trying to find a field the one that you want to get to and play on and you're freaking you need a machete to knock down some weeds and it's just it was starting to feel real heavy to get on that field does that make sense
2: yeah that's a great way of putting it and you were also between the two olympics you were playing professionally as well right what was that like
0: yeah, I played for the Chicago Bandits and the Philadelphia Force and the NPF. And I mean, talk about an experience to say I'm playing professional, mm-hmm. uh, a professional sport as a, as a woman who growing up, there was no professional softball. So uh, we were there. I think the inaugural season was 04 and I played in 05. And uh, it was it was such an amazing experience. I was very fortunate to be on uh, Jenny Finch's team, which means we drew so many fans. I mean, we had thousands of people at our games. When it was, um, the games were over, there was lines of, you know, signing autographs. It was just, it, it was, it was what you dream of when you think about playing a professional sport. And I grew as an athlete, learning from Jenny, learning from you know Natasha Watley, learning from the best in the game. That, and we were able to intermingle, right? We were enemies when it came in international, but when it came to the pro league, we were all for each other. So it was a really good learning experience.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: go ahead, Laura.
2: <laughs> Anyone you- interrupts. you mentioned meeting your husband Dave at some point during that time so how did that come about and was there already the thought there of going in business together or was that not on the horizon yet
0: no so I met Dave um, I actually will never forget this because the uh, Red Sox came to play the Cubs and we were out And um, Dave was out. So we met at a bar. He'd like to say a club, a little bit nicer. (laughs) And uh, now I live in Akron with three kids and I don't know what happened. But um, yeah, we met in Chicago when I was playing for the Chicago Bandits and he was so supportive. I mean, we got married in 2007 and I was like, peace out in 2008 because it was an Olympic year. So we got married and then I was like, I'm not going to see you for eight months. (laughs) And so his support was everything. Uh, but he was a trader at the Chicago Board of Trade. And I when we ended up when I was done playing ball, we had kids right away. And so I stayed at home, I was at home with the, the kids and he went to work. So this notion of us having a business together, I mean, until we sold our house and it was real, I probably still wasn't wrapping my <laughs> head around that. <laughs>
2: Before we get there, let's go back to the 08 Olympics and just talk through that since at that time, that was going to be the kind of capping off of your career, right?
0: Yeah. So it's really, I, I'm thankful for this opportunity now. And even Lauren, when I met you originally in 2016, mm-hmm. um, I feel like the softball gods were talking to me that I still feel the same way. I feel like I left with unfinished business. Yeah. It was a very tough year as I mentioned the team chemistry was very, um, very rough. Um, And I ended up by the end of the Olympics, we lost the bronze medal game I was pitching can I can picture that pitch like it was yesterday and it wasn't But I left the game, I was pretty bitter. I mean, I didn't even go to closing ceremonies. I left the minute that I could get out of there, I was out. I just needed a a breather. I needed to get away from all of it. And including the game at that time, leaving on such heartbreak and me feeling like I was a huge part of that. I was devastated Mm -hmm. and I got home and I put my glove away and I did not take it out. I did not do a lesson. I did not watch it. I wanted as much separation from me and the sport as possible. It was almost like I wanted to just completely close the chapter and forget that it even happened. I didn't want to talk about it. I didn't want to recount it. I didn't want to tell people uh, talking. I would call my dad. This is a true story. And he he's when he listens to this. 45 minutes if it's softball season it's hey mom is dad there and from my college season on college and international and chicago bandits i would have a 45 minute conversation with them and i would recount innings i would recount pitches and i would be so into it and whether i won or lost i would be like oh i really made this mistake here if i would have xyz or yeah then i came and did this and and it would be this it it lit me up to talk about it and i didn't even want to acknowledge that there was softball in the world, that it existed. It was very, it was left, I was left very bitter. Um, And I didn't, I had three kids in three years. My glove never came out. I think I brought it out once for a picture, but didn't want to play catch, didn't want to do anything.
1: A lot of times when that happens, people who have had that much of something intertwined with their identity, they have a hard time with that. It sounds like you or did you have a hard time with your identity because it was such a great part of it before that?
0: You know, again, I think I attribute a lot of my issues to postpartum. I really think that was intertwined. I went from, like I said, being gone eight months almost straight, right, with my team and everything was I mean, I'd go to bed thinking about my plant leg, you know, <laughs> and my arm path and why my change up was riding high. Like, that's what I would think about when I would go to bed, you know, before not, not even trying to, it was just that much part of my life. And now, you know, we have this family. and when I say three kids in three years, I mean, my daughter was born in August of 2009. My last our third son was born in August in 2012, and we had one smack dab right in the middle of 2011. I, one struggled postpartum, but two, I, I didn't know who I was. And if I can tell you the amount of times that Dave over the course of the six years after I had kids, has said to me, Lauren, remember who you are, because I was, you know, here I was larger than life. I would stand on an Olympic field and feel so comfortable and confident. And right now I literally couldn't order pizza. I'm like, ah, uh, can you order the pizza? Oh my God, the pizza guy's here. And I would run. I like, I couldn't deal with normal life. Mm-hmm. And so I did, I, I completely lost who I was and I was inserted into my husband's life, which is wonderful, but when you come into a group of people, I felt like I had to pretend and be this person that I didn't even know who I was trying to be because they weren't the athletes. And I, I had only been around the athletes. So I'm trying to care about putting on makeup and wearing clothes. And really like, if I put on makeup, I look like a clown. (laughs) So It was really an awkward... I I was tried to be someone I wasn't for so long because I I tried to hide the person that I was. Um, Yeah, it was just a, it was a not a great time, to be honest. And how does,
2: so where and how does the decision to on top of all this say, we're gonna leave behind this stability and move and open a gym together?
0: (laughs) Why not, right? Um, (laughs) So, my husband came home one day and he, I knew he had been unfulfilled. He used to love his job. It was very dynamic. And as the trading industry got higher and he can tell you about this, but it was more computery and less person-y and he started to not want to get up and go to work. Whereas in the past, it's a very, he's a, he was a, a football player and a soccer player. He's very competitive. So In the past it was very competitive minded and who can get you know at first and the you know hands and all that he that was really exciting to him and and there was a ton of risk involved which was also exciting which i don't get at all i'd be a (laughs) terrible trader but um he woke up numerous times and then one day he came home and this is a true story he came home and he goes you know i was walking back to the office from the board of trade and I just looked and I thought, if a bus hits me, I hope a cab comes and finishes me off. Because if I'm still living in Chicago, doing something that makes me this unhappy, I'm going to be so disappointed in myself. So it was really his idea to want to do something that fulfilled him. He didn't want to, he, he also said, if I go to our kids' uh, career day, I don't want to tell them I'm a trader. I want to tell them that I did something on my terms, what I wanted to do that filled my cup that helped others. Mm -hmm. So at that point, I mean, I was just, I was nodding sure. I had no idea what I was getting myself into. I had no idea what it was like to open a business. All I knew was he was miserable and we needed to make a change and we made it very, 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 very fast which in hindsight was good because there was no thinking. It was like our house house went on the market. It sold in two days with like the actual offer and them being very amicable with anything that we wanted. So it was like, okay, well, we're out of here. And um, in hindsight, I'm glad that happened because I didn't have enough time to second guess what we were doing.
1: So did that lead, which came first, the, uh the gym or the uh, strong mom movement, or is it intertwined?
0: So the gym came first and Dave and I were part owners in a gym in Chicago. So that's how the whole thing started as a trader. He was up and out super early, but he also could be home by three 30. So he had that time. And even before kids, we got into being part owners of a gym before we had children. That was kind of His passion as his other job was starting to, you know, not be fulfilling anymore. So we were that and we were part owners and we kept thinking we love it, but we want to do it on our own terms. We want to be the ones running the show. And we knew that we wanted to raise our kids in a place with more space, right? Like our yard was a postage stamp in Chicago, you know, if I had to go to the bathroom, I couldn't leave them outside. It's like, mama has to go to the bathroom. Everybody come on in. (laughs) So we knew that we wanted them to have freedom. So we knew we wanted to move. And then we got into that gym space essentially because we were part owners. It's obviously, you know, something I'm very passionate about just keep taking care of yourself and same thing with my husband. And so it was a really natural kind of gravitation towards opening the gym. And what was it initially
2: like, that experience of it not just being an idea and a passion, but turning it into a business? So I've had a lot of ups and downs.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I feel like unless you're an entrepreneur, you do not understand the peaks and valleys. Uh, I was not feeling like myself. So I mean, I've probably voiced to Dave in the millions of times that we're going to be homeless and our kids aren't going to get to go to college. (laughs) And then there's other times where I'm like, this is amazing. I can't (laughs) believe we actually did this. And the peaks and valleys, no one could have um, prepared. It's almost like motherhood. No one can tell you, they can give you an idea and they can say words, but nothing is going to sink in until it happens to you. And so it was really rough. And we live in Akron, and it's a smaller town. And so I was hyper psycho <laughs> about making, try, trying to make sure everybody was super happy because I felt like one bad review was going to sink the ship. Right? That's why I kept thinking we were going to be homeless. Like we're gonna, we're screwed. Um, so that took a really big toll on me. I was up at three in the morning, four in the morning, just stressing that. What are we going to do about insurance? What are we going to do if the gym goes under? What are we going to do? We don't have that backup. And um, I wasn't feeling well mentally, so it was basically adding fire into an already very uh, wishy-washy state, like a depressive state. I was just adding extra stress onto it. So I, I, I really, I'm just going to be super honest. I really struggled badly for the first
1: few years when you said that it made me wonder do you think that your path as a high performer maybe made you more prone to be thinking about those things because i've known myself um, one might call me anxious at times um, and it's i've tried to accomplish a lot but i've also when anything i'm doing i'm thinking about all these boxes that could be checked do you think it had any impact on your situation at the time
0: hundred percent because so these are two lines that I've said often. It's It was depressing to me to feel like I've already become the best at whatever I was going to do, right? I hit the Olympics. I knew that I was um, one of the best pitchers in the world, right? Like that was, and, and try beating that. Like basically I was like arms up, like, well, now what am I going to do? I'm never going to reach that pinnacle of what I already have. So what, what am I doing? And so that was a huge struggle for me to, Be comfortable not being that person anymore. And the other thing that was hard was exactly what you're saying. I had put so much time into softball, right? Like I could, um, again, I didn't throw particularly well, but mentally is where I would say my strength was. I could throw to a batter and just not even analytically think of it, but just know, okay, well, I need to throw this next because I had done it over in my head and in person and in reality so many times that I couldn't wrap my head around not being good at this. How am I not good at business? And I thought if I was good at softball, that should be the same as business. And I did not have the patience to understand that I was a beginner. And it made me question myself times a million because I just it's finally sunk in, thank goodness, that I'm going to make a lot of mistakes and it's okay, And I'm learning from them. Whereas previously I would think of my mistakes as I was a failure.
2: And just there, you were mentioning again, feeling like your strength was your mental strength. Was that also in your mind at all like this, but that's my thing. I'm mentally strong as a pitcher. Why can't I be that now?
0: You know, it's so interesting. No, I, Mm. on the flip side, got so down on myself for not being able to be mentally strong. Mm-hmm. I think logically I could kind of understand that concept, but I was not able to overcome that which then made me feel worse about myself mm-hmm. like I really am freaking useless. Like I think I've said to Dave I'm just going to go freaking get a job at the grocery store. At least I know I can do that. And I mean I've quit <laughs> I've quit and or been fired like four thousand times. So <laughs> <laughs> because it, it's exactly I the softball Lauren, it did not transfer and translate into business person Lauren mm-hmm. uh, as quickly as I would have thought or liked.
1: Well if you want to experience it all over again, start a podcast. You want the ups and downs and the wondering if, (laughs) do I know how to do this? Uh, I think we're riding our ship, of course, but uh, starting a podcast, we thought it would take, uh, well, I did, Lauren didn't, she knew uh, better, but-
2: I'm the more realistic one in this. I thought everything would be really quick and up and running and
1: and, uh, it took, I think, almost a year to even get uh, some some of the stuff lined up because we tried to trademark um, before we started just to be safe, but, uh, but yeah, so-
0: it's so, never, it's never that linear path, right? No, no for sure not.
2: <laughs> so at what point did things start to shift
0: for you? In the positive? hmm So, uh, well, Lauren, you know this. I ended up going back to play softball in 2016. And part of the reason why I said yes was because I thought, Maybe this is the piece that was missing. Maybe the softball, Lauren, because I, I I was not feeling well. I mean, I was at times unable to get out of bed, um, and I thought maybe this is it. And at the end of the day, if I absolutely sucked, and I've had this conversation with Dave before I came to play, if I sucked, what were the expectations of someone who is a 35-year-old mama three who hasn't picked up a ball for eight years, and I had two months to get ready? Like, if I sucked, worst-case scenario.
2: When, yeah, I still remember that first game in Oklahoma City. <laughs> right? That's where you were. <laughs>
0: yeah. Oh, let's say there was a lot of nerves that I wasn't used <laughs> to having because I was used to being at home on a field that I was like in a foreign land at, at that point. So I tried that, came back, actually felt okay. And then I'm talking full on. The rug was pulled out underneath me and i did not even consider okay i'm gonna rephrase this i was afraid to get help and i knew something was wrong and the way that i like to describe it is it was like medication or therapy or any way to get better was my parachute and i was scared to death to pull the parachute because if it didn't open That would have been proof to me that I was really broken and this is going to be me for the rest of my life. So I was super resistant to any help, partially because I didn't think it was going to work, but partially because I was afraid to use my lifeline. And there hit a point in 2018 where Dave actually, on my behalf, called doctors, called a phlebotomist to come to the house to get my blood drawn because I wouldn't go anywhere call the therapist, didn't talk to him for two days. Cause I'm like, we live in Akron. Everyone's going to know I'm crazy, but he had to do something because I was unfunctioning. I was out. I mean, I would go to bed at 5 PM. I would just dis- I wouldn't say anything. I would just disappear. It'd be 5 PM. And he would have to come wake me up at 7 AM. Like Lauren, the kids got We got, you got to get up. And I was just barely able to open my eyes. So he knew something was wrong. He didn't know how wrong. Uh, I knew something was wrong, but I was just, I was afraid to use that lifeline, but I did. So I ended up going to therapy. I ended up getting my blood checked and through a lot of trial and error, I finally got to the point where I, I remember waking up one day and I hadn't felt like this in years. You know, when you Dip down. It's not like I went from feeling great to terrible. It was like I felt okay, then not so much, then not so much, but the gap had widened between a normal functioning Lauren and where I was. So I remember waking up one day and the alarm went off, and I kind of opened my eyes and I remember thinking, There's laundry. We have laundry. Oh, I should go do that laundry before the kids wake up. Where that and then I I went, oh my gosh, is this what normal people feel like? Is this what normal people feel like? And I had that moment of hope. Like I actually wanted to get out of bed. I wanted to do something like laundry, which normally I would just let pile up because it was like least on my to-do list until we have no clean underwear, but we deal with that one day. So I had that one moment of hope, but then it went away. And so with um getting my blood work done and everything we just played with um you know i'm on progesterone and we just played with dosages and not in a bad way but just hey i think maybe that this is what your body's missing let's see if we increase it if you feel better and i ended up feeling so much better i got to the point where i could actually function i you know i would read a spreadsheet at work and i wouldn't even be able to tell you what i was reading i had so much brain fog And I finally got to that moment, you know, when you're depressed or if something's not going well, you need that, I needed that moment of hope. And I I hadn't seen that moment of hope at all. And it was just that one morning that got me, okay, if this is it and I actually wanna get up and I actually wanna hang with my family, I could give love, I could receive love. Whereas before I was a disconnected um, shell of a human being, I was able to finally dig my heels in really go to therapy and actually tell the truth. I went to, I'll be the first to say I went to therapy and then lied and said how fine everything was. And I'm just coming because my husband thinks I should. Um, I was finally able after about a month to say everything that I was really feeling. Then I started, I started journaling. I started meditating. I was able to use tools in my toolbox that I was gaining. I read every morning, I walked every day. And it was probably, that was in 2018 in the summer. By probably mid 2019 or so, I can tell you that I actually know who I am. And if I'm in a bad mood, it's a bad mood. And I still have my ups and downs, but I'm like a normal person up and down. That was a really long answer, sorry.
2: that's a good answer. Thank you for sharing. And you sent us a couple of pictures here. It seems like maybe the time to bring them up. So this
0: first one, why did you choose that one? So this is when we got photos taken. This was actually like mid-2019. And we had family photos taken. And the amount of family photos that I'm in that I'm smiling but not really smiling are a lot. Like I was just putting on the smile. And so I chose this one because apparently I didn't get the memo that we're supposed to dab. And for the last, right. For the last six years, I questioned everything I did. Like I, like I said, I didn't want to answer the door for a pizza person. Did I order the pizza correctly? Like I was very unsure of myself. And so I love this one because I'm like, that's right. I didn't get the memo and I don't care. Whereas that just hadn't been the case. I cared about what every single person had thought of me. I was so concerned about putting on this front that everything was fine. It was so completely exhausting. So, um, I love this photo because I'm totally did not get the memo. And I'm like, you know what? I'm happy about that.
2: <laughs> and then you also shared another cute one of you and your family, Dave and kids. What tell us about that one?
0: so this was actually the start of our online it's now the strong mom movement for me but it, this was the start of us branching out and we have our brick and mortar track athletics but as you see um under family it says epic dave and i had started an online um, program called the epic life project mm-hmm. and it's now morphed into i'm just working with mom so i totally turn that into moms he's working with men and dads. So instead of combining Epic Life Project, we just took the idea and split it into two. But this was, again, me smiling. And this was the start of, I actually believe that we are not going to be homeless. Like I actually see a future that I'm not completely stressed out from head to toe. Because something I had said to Dave numerous, numerous times was, Here we are opening up this gym. Our whole goal in life is to make people's lives better. That's exactly what we're trying to do. And mine is so exponentially worse. I don't know if I can do this. And so this was the time like dad belief, mom fearless. We made those words and I truly felt like I can be fearless now and I can see a life where not only do we help people and make their lives better, but I can actually love my life too. So that's why I chose this one.
2: It's something that we've asked some of our guests before this in a really, I guess really it's coming to mind to me as related to what you're talking about, this notion of imposter syndrome that sometimes pops up. So it sounds like there was a bit of that going on for you during this time. Was that new or had that also shown up when you were playing ball?
0: Nope, never showed up when I was playing ball. I had this, I was very set in who I was. Mm-hmm. Um, I was confident in who I was, still a human being that would be, you know, I would question little things here or there, but never really in who I was. The whole imposter syndrome. And let me tell you, I still have it now. Like I'm running a business slash two. I'm training for my third Olympics. I have three kids. I run this business that helps moms. And sometimes I'm like, why do they want to, what,
2: what do they want to look me for? <laughs>
0: and I don't think that ever goes away. I think because I'm constantly striving and human beings constantly strive for the next thing. I look at coaches, i um, like, Dave worked with you, Lauren, right? Like we are always looking, how can we get better? So I think I have a little bit of an issue with the gap, right? They call it the gap versus the gain. I have a little issue with being maybe from being high level sports, but I see the gap. So that imposter syndrome is is like, well, if I haven't, you know, cured world peace yet, or figured out how to go to Mars, then who am I, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So I definitely, even now, um, still have that moment, but it was was really bad, uh, you know, a couple years ago.
1: First of all, thanks for the story you shared about the, uh, the picture where you're smiling. I think that's, uh, uh, I, as Lauren stated, thanks for sharing that. Um, and I'm happy that you've been able to get to where you are. Um, but I, I wanna go back for a second. You mentioned the fear of using your parachute as you called it. Um, I think anecdotally, at least I've seen that with uh, maybe just people who are striving for something and they reach a certain point And they end up not pursuing it because I think in their mind, it's better to have never tried it because at least you could always say that you could have done it. Um, And so that just reminded me of that. I don't guess it's really a question. I just wanted to comment on that. So it's not uncommon for people to use that as a reason not to end up pulling the final, uh, making the final effort to uh, continue to pursue something.
0: That's a very real thing. And I can even speak to that from an entrepreneurship type way. Sometimes I get scared to try something because, well, what if it doesn't work? And I get, it, it's paralyzing. And one of the things that actually helped me in my, in my quest to get better, I read a ton of books and, and I, it was one of those things that made me feel like I was growing. I would, Dave, Dave laughs at me because I'll walk around with a highlighter and a book, just following him around going, can okay, you got to listen to this one? Listen to this one. And I'll just. <laughs> recite the things that really hit me and resonate with me. And so all of my books are just completely highlighted. And, uh, sometimes he'll be like, give me five minutes, Lauren, I'm in the middle of something, <laughs> but I read this book called a lion tracker's guide to life. And it's, it's not a super well-known book as far as I know, maybe it is. Uh, but he talks about the path that is not the path is still the path. When you lose the track, it doesn't mean you're on the wrong path. It means you know you're on your way to the right path because you know it's not left or wherever. And that was something that took me a long time to really, really come to terms with. But in terms of getting better in, in my parachute, finally, I was able to say, okay, well, if this doesn't work, I can cross that off and not worry about it and I'll go a different path. But- Initially, it was fighting tooth and nail for me to try anything. So that was just a different switch in mindset that was really um, powerful for me to at least say I tried it, but it's not easy to get there.
2: Yeah, it reminds me of um, I'm reading Adam Grant's new book right now, um, a four book club that, I'm, that I do with uh, the Valor Performance Group. And um, there's one part in there where he's talking about this notion of that when you fail or figure out that you're wrong about something that mindset shift is important of realizing that it doesn't mean you're wrong it means you're actually one step closer to being right or figuring out the path so it sounds very similar to what you were mentioning there
0: yeah are you reading th- is it think again mm-hmm. i have that for uh, camp <laughs> <laughs> oh there you go
1: <laughs> so that's probably a perfect segue into so it sounds like you are training again or will be with the olympics again
0: yeah. So I leave on the 22nd, uh, it's, uh, March and, um, COVID right. Just COVID. So we actually don't really have any concrete plans. I don't know if I'm going to get to come home, which with the family is, um, still trying to wrap my head around that one, but yeah, I, I'm very thankful that I'm in a position to, at least give it my best shot. The final roster is going to be named in April and um, I, I feel really good.
2: What, what has, you've talked about kind of your other Olympic
0: experiences and pursuing
2: those. What has this one been like for you?
0: Oh, that's such a great question. Cause now I get to get really excited. <laughs> um, yeah. So, you know, the 2004 Olympics was great team cohesion we weren't really favored to win a medal. So there was that also excited to be there type feeling head to 2008, very, uh, a lot of tension within the team. However, we had a lot of talent, so we had an opportunity to win a medal. Um, and then, like I said, I think the softball gods were just saying, Hey, Lauren, I don't think you're supposed to go out in the game like this that's the way I took it even in 2016 Lauren when we won that bronze medal at the world championships I was bawling like just bawling because I had never won a medal and I had been with the team for a long time I was a mainstay of the team for such a long time and I thought that was going to be the end of my career and I was I said oh my gosh I enjoyed playing I love my teammates not that we're all best friends but I love being teammates with them I respect all of our team Uh, There's a mutual respect amongst everybody and we want a medal. I mean, what's better than that? And now that we're coming into uh, 2021, I can honestly say, and I voiced this actually at one of our meetings that we had on Zoom not long ago was after being with the team as long as I've been, and I know I took a big break, but on every team that I've been on, I can honestly say this is the best athlete pool I've ever seen, which is super exciting, number one. Number two. There is a layer of respect that was even built upon more. So even from 2016, it's still been built. There's a level of communication that has otherwise never been there, at least as far as I had been on the team. So I am so excited. I mean, leaving my family for almost five months. I mean, I've got to really love what I'm doing for me to be a mom. And leave my family. I, I not only have to love the sport, which I do, but I have to love my day to day because I was just telling my husband this two days ago. It's six games at the Olympics. It's not, uh, yes, that's the pinnacle, but it is not about those six games. It is about the time and the tears and the sweat that I do, that I put in every single day. And I could not do it if I did not have the respect for my teammates mutually. I could not do it if I didn't have that uh, that overarching feeling that my uh, time invested is 100% worth it. And I would tell you, if I had the same experience in 2008, I, I probably would have said, no, I'm not going to take that time away from my family to be miserable every day so, or not happy every day. So... I am. I'm so excited. We have such a great opportunity. Our team is amazing, um, and I also want to say a huge thank you to to Lauren because I know you were a huge part of that. I showed up in 2016, and I'm like, what the heck happened? Like our <laughs> team culture was just so. Hey, you guys good. did all the work. <laughs> well, I appreciate everything that you brought because it is. It, it was. I showed up like, this is Team Canada. This is this is Team Canada. What This is amazing. So a lot of work, um, a lot of amazing people like Lauren coming in and a lot of openness from our team being able to take that and kind of make it our own culture and be open to having that change. Sure. Yeah, it's going to
2: certainly be exciting to watch you all compete this summer. So now you have mom Lauren and you know wife Lauren you have business owner Lauren you have softball Lauren and many other facets what's that like having now not just the softball Lauren?
0: it is it makes every day interesting (laughs) I can tell you that there's never a dull day um, Lauren, I think you were the one that said this to me. I want three pies. Was't that you? Okay, so I've told this to everybody. It's in a blog of mine. I remember calling Lauren one day, I, I was either crying to you or I was crying after or before. And she, uh, you know, Lauren said to me, "You want three pies. You want a pie for family, you want a pie for business, and you want a pie for softball. But here's the deal. you only have one pie. And I couldn't wrap my head around it because as a high-performing athlete, I wanna live, breathe, eat, softball, right? In my head, if I'm not doing that, I'm letting my teammates down. But then as a mom, if I'm not present with my kids, then I'm letting my kids down. And as a business owner, I still thought we were gonna be homeless here and there. I'm like, we're going under. And if I don't worry about this, how are our kids gonna to go to college? So I didn't understand how to pull and create this one pie. And over the, the, the years of just the work that I've done, it's become so clear that I cannot live if I'm not where my feet are. Cause I've tried, I've been at practice thinking, oh my gosh, I've been at, you know, doing a bullpen thinking, oh my gosh, do I have enough seats for, if I take Jack Tobin, Toby Cannon, you know, if I'm trying to carpool for soccer, I'm trying to throw a bullpen, wondering if I can make all the people that I told, yes, I'll drive your kid to soccer. I'm trying to make it work. And then my ball's going everywhere. And conversely, I'm with the kids, but I'm thinking about business. And all that does is create this struggle inside and it's discontentment. I'm unhappy. And so I've really tried to take that three pie analogy and say, okay, if I'm working on the piece of the pie that's business today or this moment, I'm going to do that. It's all I can do. I'm going to put everything out. I'll write myself little notes. So I don't not thinking about it. I have to like get it down. And then I really just focus on doing that. Uh, whatever task is at hand, am I the very best at it? No, I can still get better, but my day-to-day life is where am I? Okay. Let's do that. Do I miss meetings and screw up things? hundred (laughs) percent, but I've also learned that nothing's ever the end of the world. And that's where I used to feel like everything, every mistake I made was going to be the biggest issue. And I've learned that I made a mistake. I'm sorry. What can I do about it? Let's move on. And that's basically where I am today.
1: I was going to say earlier, Lauren was my consultant, even informally, even in grad school. She's
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, and it's but you know, different things
2: resonate with different people you talk, but I do know that we talked about this notion of the pies because it's true, right? That no matter how, no, no matter what we're pursuing, right. There's more, there's more pieces to us
0: than we realize. Right. Yeah. And it's funny because I took that, what you had told me about the pies. And I've said that to so many people, cause it just makes so much sense. Mm-hmm. And I do remember getting on a call before COVID hit. It was, it was March and this is a true story uh, for softball right now with our mental work, you get either a green, a yellow, or a red, mm-hmm. and there's no reds are really accepted. That means you didn't do it. And this is exactly what happened. I was at a volleyball tournament on my off time to be with my family. Well, our team was still together training and I got a call from our mental performance coach that I got a red cause I didn't hand it in. I missed a deadline for work and I'm at a volleyball tournament tr- balling. Like, balling. And I called, um, his name's Wade Gilbert. I called Wade and I'm bawling, And I'm like, I don't know how to do this. Like I cannot handle, I didn't even know I had something to do for softball Canada because I'm just, I was all everywhere. So part of the reason why I've learned I've learned through tough lessons. Uh, I can't say that it all has come easy. It's because I hit a point where I was like, I can't do this. And the one thing that he said to me, and it's very similar to the pies, is is if you want to be great at something, it's going to, it's going to cost you somewhere. Mm -hmm. So if you want to be, he's like, think of a surgeon. If you want to be the best surgeon in the world, you have to spend time, which means it's going to cost you time doing anything else. It's going to cost you time with your family, but you have to decide what you are willing to um, invest your time in. And you have to decide that you are for that and understanding that it's going to cost And we went, I went through a part where I said, I don't know if I can do softball because I wasn't sure at that moment, if I was willing to let that cost be high for my family. And again, me worried about us being homeless. So um, like, I wasn't sure making sure our business uh, actually made it. I wasn't sure. And I went through this period and I finally was like, you know what? I'm all in. And from that moment on, I was like, I'm all in. So there's no excuses. I've had no more reds. I just take on less because I know that when I overcommit, that's when I screw things up. So I'm trying to take on less. I do only what's important and the rest can wait.
2: And it is, well, there's two things I'm hearing there that are interesting. One is the idea of choices, right? That is choices that we make, which is not always easy to wrap our heads around, I think, or accept. (laughs) Um, And number two is, while we always have these multiple identities that make us up, trying to be excellent or perfect, depending on how you look at it, is not always possible. Those multiple
0: aims. Exactly, and honestly, that whole good um, perfect is the enemy of great, and that's like that's what I've found to be true. I would, I'm doing what I can with what I have. I'm happy in my decision because I know that I am the one making this decision. So it doesn't mean I can't be bummed. And I had to work through these emotions. I made the decision, but I still have the right to be upset that I'm not going to see my family. I don't, I don't want to have that internal struggle. of I, I'm doing the best. What I'm trying to say is I'm doing my very best to not judge myself and just allow myself to be bummed Know that that's a a very normal and okay reaction to a mom who's not going to get to see her family and not judge it. But I did decide to put myself in the situation. I made this choice. And so I'm going to do everything I can to make every moment, whether that's on the podcast, like I'm here, whether that's at volleyball, I'm there because that's all I can do.
1: Go ahead, Lauren. Well, you go first. first. (laughs) I was actually shifting gears, so uh, did you want to get anything else to that? Okay, uh, what advice would you have for an aspiring athlete?
0: Ah, How much time do you have? Just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Everything I'm going to say revolves around enjoyment, finding the joy in what you're doing, because. It was stated by uh, Dr. Michael Gervais had said this and I'm stealing it because it's so true and I've lived this, so I understand it, but the path to mastery, greatness, right? The path to the highest is think of it like a train, right? You have to stay on that train for say 2000 stops. Well, if you're not enjoying it, you're going to get off at stop hundred. You're going to get off at stop 500. You might make it all the way to 1800, but you're still not even close to the actual destination, which there's never a destination, but where you're trying to go, right? Say you're trying to be a pro athlete or go to the Olympics. It all comes down to if you want to be there or not, because I see, not that it all comes down to, that is a key um, kind of cog in the wheel for athletes because no one wants to stay on a train of misery number one. Number two, I know what it's like. So I can speak. A lot of parents don't understand what it's like to get to the top. I know the amount of hours and the amount of sacrifice slash decisions to decide to put yourself in situations, things that you're going to miss because you're deciding that you want to go for this one goal. Mm -hmm. I know what that's like. And if you are not enjoying what you're doing, you're, you're not going to be there. And so that to me is number one, and it's also why I love athletes to pay, play multiple sports, is because that excitement of playing the game is part of the reason why people who make it as far as they do. That, that's that's the huge part of the reason. So number one, enjoy the game. Number two, remember it is just a game, and I'm 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 able to say that, and here I am, a mama three, trying to go right. But at the end of the day the more um, pressure and serious um, kind of cloud that we put on top of it, it's just going to create this unrealistic expectation. And so I think if you're able just to go out, enjoy playing, that'll take a lot of it away. But I, I mean, I could go on about this forever because people <laughs> will say to me uh, like my daughter doesn't play softball. She doesn't like it. And the amount of people that will say to me, Oh, I'm so sorry. Sorry. And I'm like, well, this is her life. It's not (laughs) my life. All I care about is that she tries as many sports as possible and finds something that she loves to do. Because to me, whether she plays in high school or beyond or not even the only way she's going to know is by enjoying what she's doing. And then the rest is her life and she'll take it from there.
2: So my question was gonna be about what you think your keys to success are. And I'm assuming that there's a little bit of overlap here, but in terms of trying to find that joy, but is anything else coming to mind relative to that question?
0: Yeah, so besides loving it, yes. It actually goes back um, to one of the questions we talked about earlier and how I'm two different people, softball Lauren, and then finding my other way. When it came to softball, I did not get discouraged easily. I was never, um, I I was always good, quote, unquote, good. But I also threw the ball over the backstop, like to the point where the umpire would go time, okay, you pitcher, you need to go get that ball now because the fans (laughs) have been running to get them and basically knock it off. But I, like I said, I didn't know where it was going, but I didn't get discouraged. I didn't have somebody telling me, I didn't have that person saying, oh, you know, think of a realistic goal. And limiting my belief, actually, on the flip side, my dad was like, hey, just keep throwing as hard as you can. Whereas a lot of times people will put their own limitations on you, right? If a kid comes up and says, I want to be a major league baseball player, a lot of times people will go, oh, that's sweet, honey. But what do you really want to do? And I never had that. So I really do believe that whether it's sports or whatever it is, if we can, actually imagine a future that has very little limitations that other people decide to put on us, Mm -hmm. that that's huge. So that for me, here I am, this teeny tiny town of trail British Columbia, and no one ever patted me on the head and was like, oh, that's cute, Lauren, but what do you really want to do? My dreams were pretty much kept alive. And whether that was my parents not wanting to like rain on my parade and just let me be or on purpose, I have no idea. But I mean, I ended up making it to the Olympics. My brother played 10 years of Major League Baseball. And, you know, we literally were just kids who would play in the backyard and have fun. And our parents just said, if you wanna do it, we'll find a way.
1: Okay, so I have to comment on that. So there are two, at one time in your career, two professional, players in the same household um do you attribute where do you fall in the nature versus nurture debate
2: so in case you didn't know we asked we often asked this because kevin was actually anders erickson's student and he and i met when we were doing research on expert performance so that's just as a little F background to why he's just lasering yeah. in on that question
1: yeah, we ask <laughs> this every time
0: yeah so i don't know here's my answer i think it's both I truly do believe for in terms of nature, I'm just going to also flat out say you can practice as much as you want. There might be a kid that moves into town that's just going to be faster and there's going to be that nature component. And I know that whole Malcolm Gladwell book came out in the 10,000 hours. Just because you practice 10,000 hours doesn't mean you're going to be an Olympian or you're going to be a professional ball player. That's just not the case. That's another reason why I really want kids when they're young to play a lot of sports, because oftentimes the, oftentimes the best eight year old athlete is not the best 18 year old athlete. And you are going to have those kids that just come in that are amazing. And a case in point is we are watching masterclass as a team. That's what we did when, you know, COVID was um, coming or COVID was here. Obviously we couldn't do a lot together. And you look at someone I watched Serena Williams and she's just, she's just that good. But then on the flip side, you watch someone like Steph Curry, who used every single angle, like he breaks down, hey, see this guy's toe, it pointed a little bit left, which means I knew if I XYZ, I could get around him. So I think there is a little bit of there. To me, there's a little bit of both like you, the nature part matters, especially in sports, genetics matter. But on the flip side, I do believe the nurture. I think there are a lot of athletes out there that have these uh, invisible shackles that are just told that you can't do something. So they don't even try. Um, So that's where I fall, if that makes sense.
1: For sure. Uh, So did you and your brother put in, a? you mentioned earlier, you putting in a lot of time. Did your brother also put in a lot of time practicing?
0: So we were the same. Uh, We did everything. My brother actually played volleyball and basketball in high school. Uh, he skied. We would go. I mean, he's three years older than me, which was actually really good for my competitive spirit because as I was a girl and I was three years younger, and I, every time I'm like, I'm going to throw it harder than him. And he was a little bit more passive. So he didn't care. And therefore, let me think that I actually could beat him sometimes. So we would just go play everything. But he was by no means crazy about baseball. He played it in baseball season, end of story. And then he played volleyball and then he played basketball.
1: Jordan and his sibling, that rival rivalry helps. It looks like <laughs> uh, Michael Jordan had a sibling that also improved his game.
0: Oh, Jason improved mine for sure, for yeah. sure.
2: <laughs> yeah, Serena and Venus. There's a lot of those stories, right? Yeah.
0: Yeah, I don't think I improved his whatsoever. <laughs> there had to have been a time when he was like, "I'm not going to let my sister beat me." But other than that, I mean, he was so good about letting me. Um, like my dad would do this game and it was called um, like heads up and we would stand out and we'd be in the middle of our street and he would try and trick us. He would like look up and then throw a throw a ground ball. And we had to see, we had to get, try and get 10 out of 10. And it would be me and my brother. And I would just be out there and you know, my brother wouldn't care, but for me, if he threw the ball back, I would look at him and be like, I'm going to throw it back harder. And so it was very competitive, but that also is a case in point as a parent, my, my parents just played with us. They, they never had us do things because they thought we were going to be good. They just gamified random games that got us playing without realizing that we were playing. So that was awesome as a, as a kid.
2: Sure. So that maybe brings us around to giving us some insight into what you're trying to do with this strong mom kind of new venture that you have.
0: Yeah. So like I mentioned on the picture, we had started an online business, meaning we worked with people everywhere. And once COVID hit, that's when we really kind of dove into it because no one was going anywhere. We, as they say, right, chase two rabbits, catch none. That was a little bit what we were doing with track and online, and we couldn't really figure out what to do but we knew we had something in both places and then COVID hit, which means, okay, well, we can't even focus on the in-person now because it's closed. So we went into strong mom and, and Dave's working with dads, but this whole me feeling not like myself and not being able to show up for my family, like I wanted to, I've had that experience. And now I'm able to have the experience of owning who I am and living out my story. um, even if it looks a little bit different than others, and I want to help moms have that feeling that they won the, are the, on the priority list. If anything, even, I always say you got to take care of yourself first, because how are you going to help somebody if you're unable? But a lot of times moms are like, I can't. So I'll say at least put your, give yourself the same consideration. If not more, give yourself the same consideration as you would give someone else in your family. Because there's so much out there that you can do. We we want to, I want to help moms live and be excited and have energy for their kids as opposed to getting beaten down. You know, a lot of times I'll, I'll liken it to the picnic. We'll create this picnic as moms and we'll get there and we'll open up the blanket and sit down and you'll hand everybody what they're eating for the picnic. And then you realize you haven't packed yourself anything. And that's so common. And my goal is to help moms into themselves so they have more energy and they're part of their family and um and just live a little bit more kind of that what's coming to mind is that notion of on a plane put on your own oxygen oxygen mask first right (laughs) exactly exactly and the tagline i use for strong mom is we want to give our family the best of us not what's left of us Mm -hmm. and it's exactly it you have to take care of yourself. We are supporting and always thinking about what to do for others, right? I'm holding up my hands because it's like we're lifting people up. <laughs> so we want to be the people helping moms because no one is generally going, hey, who's going to pack your lunch today? Mm-hmm. So we want to be there and give them the guidance and the support to uh, to give themselves the same consideration. Sure. So what's the biggest takeaway from your story, Lauren? Honestly, hope, I like that's hope. I I was suicidal. Like I didn't want to wake up in the morning. I, I was, here I am the seemingly perfect life, right? Two-time Olympian. I've got three amazing kids and an amazing husband and we own our own business. And looking from the outside, you would have no idea. It was very uh, easy um, to put on a show because I knew what the show was supposed to look like right like i could see it from other people's point of view so but at the end of the day it wasn't what it appeared and i was struggling so badly and i was so unhappy and i was i was empty and i didn't think there was any hope and i want my story to be one of hope that you can overcome whatever it is in your life that you're struggling with there is an answer and i was the anti-person of that for a long time i just kept saying i was broken but I finally realize there is an answer. It might take some time, but there is an answer and there is hope. And I also want people to know that hope goes into, we don't just merely, there's not hope to just live, but there's hope to truly be fulfilled in the life that you're living.
1: Great message.
2: Yeah. So powerful. Thank you, Lauren, so much for coming on today and talking us through your story and being so open about your experiences. And I know I certainly will be cheering you all on this summer and hope also that any of our listeners check out uh, what you and Dave are doing.
0: Dig it. Thanks for having me, guys.
1: The Path Distilled is hosted by Kevin Harris and Lauren Tashman, created and produced by Kevin Harris. The content is copyrighted by The Path Distilled, All Right reserved.